All right, it's great to see everybody this morning. Good morning, Gateway family. How we doing? Good? It's great to see everybody this morning. I'd like to welcome everyone who's watching us online. So happy you're able to join us for worship this morning. Got a few announcements to make you aware of what's happening in the life of our body. Uh, first off, for those that have been visiting with us, whether it's been one week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, or today's your first day, there's an opportunity a couple weeks for you to get to know a little bit more about who we are kind of the DNA of Gateway, and it's a part of the membership process, though. There's no obligation, but we're having um, a foundations class that will take up uh, beginning September 10th on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. over in the gym building for four weeks straight. Um, There'll be some classes to get to know some foundational things about who we are as the church and worship, just all sorts of topics. Um, Again, there's no obligation to join after, but it's just an opportunity for you to get to know who we are, some foundational depths, but to become a member, it is required. And so we ask you if you want to be a part of that. Details and registration are on our website at gatewaybaptist.com. And uh, for those that may not have been to the Discover Gateway lunch, uh, I think it was last week, um, you can still come to this, and it's just a part of the process. So we encourage you, for those that have been visiting, to be a part of that. And it's starting in a couple weeks on September 10th. Ladies, It's a few weeks out, but just wanted to continue to make you aware of an opportunity October 6th through the 8th. That weekend, there'll be a women's retreat for a time of rest and renewal down in Mentone, Alabama. Uh, Details and registration are also on the website, so we encourage you to go there uh, to get more information and to sign up if you want to be a part of that time. This is normally the uh, rotation in the afternoon, Sunday afternoons at 4.30, that we have a prayer time here in the sanctuary, but we are not having one this week. There'll be no prayer this afternoon due to the fact that we want to encourage all of you as a body to come and support our teenagers in the production of a dramatization on the book of Ruth. Uh, We were so excited yesterday for those of you that came at 2. Who was here yesterday at 2 p.m.? I mean, I was blessed. I got a little teary-eyed. It was very good. Um, The gospel's presented. Just seeing our young people perform and use their gifts to the glory of God. Um, My daughter Haley and Lydia Cobb and Justin um, was really they're pivotal as adult volunteers to help and the writing and the production and everything was so well done so we want to encourage you all to participate in that today at 4:30 here that's why you see some of the setup as we have here uh, for the production so it's today at 4:30 we do have child care for those for children two and under and the rest of the kids will really enjoy it they can be in tuned and engaged as we just see the book of Ruth come to life this afternoon. Other details are obviously on the website as well. So we just encourage you to be here this afternoon at 4.30 here in the sanctuary. And lastly, uh, to prepare in a couple weeks is the next Homemakers Workshop uh, that's going to take place on Saturday, September 9th from 9 to 12. Uh, This year's theme is boosting your immunity naturally, Uh, whether it has to do with plants or herbs or essential oils. Encourage those that come that are interested in that topic in a couple weeks, Homemakers Workshop. Saturday, September 9th, 9 to 12, boosting your immunity naturally. So we are very excited what God's doing in the life of our body. A lot of ways to get connected, to build relationships and community, to get engaged. So we just encourage you guys, if any of you have any questions in that regard, please come talk to me. If you have any questions about how to connect deeply, what Bible studies are offered, Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, life groups, all the sorts of things. It's our desires, leadership, as your shepherds, that we connect deeply. And then we engage in community with one another. And we have a lot of opportunities to do that. So let's stand and prepare our hearts to worship the Lord this morning through song. I'm going to read for us this morning a few verses from Psalm chapter 92, verses 1 through 4. 
says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night, with a ten-stringed lute and with the harp, with resounding music upon the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. Let's worship him this morning.
One. 
establish every effort while we
wish I Wish out of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great Thou art! Then sings my soul. praise you so much for your greatness. And lives, right where we are, let's just take a moment just to express our heart to the Lord for his greatness and a gratitude of thanksgiving. Just express anything. He has shown up in your life this week in a great way because he's good and just and holy and loving and kind and compassionate. So just take a moment to express your heart to the Lord as he is worthy of it. Father, you are worthy of our praise. God, we can spend the rest of the day doing nothing but standing in your presence and expressing how grateful we are for who you are. God, may we never lose sight of that, that we should live a life of gratitude, a life of praise, a life of worship, a life of turning our affections to you for the one true God who is worthy. Lord, we thank you for each of the songs and the declarations we've made today of your greatness, of your power, of your majesty, of your splendor, of you being an amazing creating God. As we get to experience over the next many weeks going through Genesis and seeing just your attributes on Wednesday nights and your character and your ways and qualities and traits. God, you're amazing. There's no words on this planet to express, to clearly, to clearly show who you really are. But God, even saying that, knowing how big you are and amazing and incomprehensible, you are the most personal, intimate being ever. <laughs> you meet with us. 
the God of the universe meets with us individually, intimately, lovingly. You draw us to yourself. You embrace us. You express love to us. That's incredible. We praise you and thank you for that. And Lord, that's why each week we can come up and spend a few moments, Lord, in intercession and petitions and crying out to you for the only answer to life. You are the only hope. You are our only answer to show up in these different circumstances and those that we bring before you, knowing that you are faithful and good and worthy for us to submit these things to you. And know you, you will act according to your will. So God, in that, we just thank you and praise you for what you're doing here in this local fellowship here at Gateway with the faith family that we have and the ministries that are happening on this campus. And Lord, we thank you so much for our Gateway Young Adult Ministry led by Andrew and Melissa Harris. Lord, we thank you for their faithfulness to serve and to lead this group of young adults that meet with you weekly and get in your word and share life together and community and accountability, encouragement. We pray, God, you continue to draw them to yourself. Continue to reveal yourself to them, Lord, so they go out into the community, at their workplaces, in their relationships, in their marriages, whatever it is, God, that you would be salt and light in and through their lives as they represent you well as your ambassadors. We thank you for that ministry. And they would have an impact in the sphere of influences that you have them in. And Lord, for the rest of our fellowship, I pray that we recognize and value and prioritize community. We need each other. We are not to live this life in isolation apart from others in the body of Christ. We need accountability. We need encouragement. Every one of us in this room need each other. And I pray we see the value of that and prioritize that in our daily lives. To have brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside, to encourage, and to be there for each other. Continue to cultivate that, Lord, in this body. And Lord, we thank you for other extended family in this community of Montgomery. We thank you, Lord, for Pastor John Halbrooks and his faithful ministry to serve those at the Mistech Church over in West Montgomery. And Lord, we thank you for bringing this people group, this tribal people group from Mexico, from the Oaxaca regions and the Guerrero regions to our city. Lord, you have drawn them, you've brought them here a part of your providential purposes that we can reach this people group, those of another tongue, another language with the gospel so that they can impact. And one day, Lord, as your word says, when people stand before you, every tribe, tongue, and language will worship and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we thank you, God, that a people speaking Metlatonic of the Mistech people will worship you in their native tongue. And we thank you for the ministry that Pastor John has and those that are connected with him and volunteering. We pray you continue, God, to reach them with the gospel, that there would be discipleship and that it would spread throughout their community in this city that you have brought here. And Lord, we thank you for the ministry of the Montgomery Baptist Association and Jeremy Lynch leading out with the food bus that takes food all over the river region and the gospel with it. We pray, Lord, you continue to provide for them and bless him, give him strength and energy and the volunteers he needs to take just the physical nourishment, but then to bring the spiritual nourishment as well, Lord, with the gospel. Just continue to bless that bus as old as it is, Lord. Keep it running. Continue to provide everything they need as the gospel goes forth. And Lord, we thank you. We can pray for our brothers and sisters across the world. Lord, we thank you so much for the relationship we have with Taylor and Sarah Fox in Strasbourg, France. We thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness, for their young kids, and just you calling them there to that city that is dark because of just 
A lot of folks, God, do not know you. They mock you. They rebel against you and your word. But we thank you for their heart and their ministry to reach primarily singles and college students with the gospel, that they open up their home for hospitality, to have people come in and just share life and talk about you, talk about your word. We pray, God, that you continue to bless them, provide for them, give them divine appointments, Lord, as they minister out that city. As people come into their home, God, they would feel and experience your intimate presence, and you would bring people to saving faith because of it of your gospel, Lord. We thank you. And Lord, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for the opportunity today to give, whether it's online or in the back, Lord. We thank you for all the resources you have given us. We are a blessed people. You are truly Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. We thank you for all that you've given us, that we can give a portion back in return to facilitate the ministry you desire to do in and through this fellowship. And lastly, Lord, we thank you so much for our shepherd. We thank you for Grady and his heart to serve and love and protect us as sheep. We thank you for his heart to bring your word each week. And as I see each week, Lord, his faithfulness to study, to dig in your word, Lord, to bring your word to us. Fill him afresh with your spirit today. Give him energy and good health and just discernment and wisdom, God, as he brings your word today. God, we love you and we praise you. And again, may we never take for granted that we can meet like this, that we can come together in this country to declare that Jesus is Lord where many across the world of our brothers and our family cannot do this, God. We look forward to this time together. Continue to have your way, Holy Spirit. Move among us, teach us, enlighten us, bring revelation and truth and a spirit of repentance upon us, God, and conviction as your word goes forth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, kids, first through fourth, you'll be joining me and Miss Nikki out the doors to go to kids' worship. You can make your way out toward that direction. the fourth graders as soon as the service is over in the blue hallway and then you will can come back in here and enjoy fellowshipping with one another well while the kids are on the move if you'll find genesis chapter one in your copy of god's word genesis chapter one last sunday we began about a 10-month journey through the first 11 chapters of genesis and last week we focused just on the first four words in english just two words in the original hebrew and that was in the beginning god and if you remember from last week what we saw last week is the beginning words of the scriptures Remind us that there is one true God. And the name he reveals himself to at the very beginning is Elohim. That is a name that emphasizes how different he is than us, that he's eternal with no beginning and no end. He is the creator of all. And we saw last week in this phrase, in the beginning, when he made everything, he made everything with the end in view. We were reminded of how purposeful and how sovereign God is over everything. And yet as CJ prayed, this incredibly sovereign, eternal Lord invites us to know him personally and loves us and has a relationship with with him. And that all just came from those first two words in Hebrew at the beginning of the scripture. Today we're going to continue with the rest of verse 1 as well as add in verse 2 today. And let's look at what God has revealed to us about himself. So after telling us that in the beginning, what does God tell us next about himself? If you grew up in the church or you've read Genesis or you just looked ahead, you know what God says next. He says, God created the heavens and the earth. Now friends, when you hear that, when you hear that truth that God created the heavens and the earth, what effect does that truth have on you? For some people, when they hear God created the heavens and the earth, they dismiss it as a fairy tale. For some, they say, oh, that's a nice story I heard in a kid's Bible, and that's sweet the kids get to think that, but it has very little impact on their personal life. 
For some point, these words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, are a source of frustration because they think this somehow is contrary to what science has taught them. For other people, they read these words, and honestly, it's boring for them. Like I mentioned last week at a conference I was at, when the author just began to, or the speaker began to read Genesis 1 very slowly, you look around the room and see people bored and checked out by the time he got to the end of chapter 1. Friends, but for some people, when they hear, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that fills their heart and their soul with deep hope. So for you, friends, what does this truth do for you? When you hear God created the heavens and the earth, what does it do in your heart and your mind and your soul? Now, I'm convinced that God has revealed this truth, the first sentence of the Bible to us, to do two things. Number one, I believe God has revealed this so that we know who he is. As I said last week, this is God's self-revelation. God has not hidden himself from us, but is showing us his nature and his character. So we do not have a God of our own imagination, but he's shown us who he really is. But I believe he also has given us these first words of the Bible to give us hope as we navigate the hardships of life, friends. As we see throughout the scripture, there is no promise of an easy life. As we say over and over, God's will is not to get us from birth to death in the safest, happiest, easiest, wealthiest, most comfortable way possible. Life is full of trials and hardships and suffering. And God knows we need hope to endure those with joy. And so from the very beginning words of the scriptures, God shows us who he is and he fills our hearts with hope for the journey we have. So as we read verses one and two this morning, look for those two things. What do we learn about God here? And how does this truth give us hope? So can I ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the word of God? As CJ was praying earlier, so true. We have such a privilege not only to be able to meet together, but to have the written word of God so we know God's revelation. So let's celebrate reading it this morning. Genesis chapter one, verses one and two. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you've given us these words. We thank you that you've revealed yourself to us. You've shown us who you are. And God, I pray this morning as we open your scripture, as we read your words, that your Holy Spirit would breathe life into our lives and help us understand your greatness and your purposes and your plans and your power. And I pray today that we would leave with a greater sense of hope in who you are and what you're doing even in our own lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, as we tackle these important words at the beginning of the Bible, to help guide us through this this morning, I want us to tackle it with three questions this morning to kind of guide our study of these foundational verses at the very beginning of God's Word. First question, we want to look at what did God do? What do these verses tell us God did? Second of all, what do we learn about God's nature from that? So we'll see what he did. Now, what do we learn about God from that? And then close out with question three, how does that give us hope? So what did God do? What do we learn about God's nature from it? And how does that give us hope? Let's start with the first question, what did God do? Now, in these opening two sentences of the scripture, it tells us two things God did here, and these are very interrelated. They're really two aspects of the same thing, but let's look at them. The first thing we see here in Genesis 1, 1 and 2 is that God created everything from nothing. So we're told here at the very beginning, after we saw God's nature last week, in the beginning God, the very next thing we're told is God created everything from nothing. Now look back at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this word created here, this is the first verb in the entire Bible. It's so massively significant, so filled with meaning. This is a Hebrew word that we transliterate in English, bara, B-A-R-A. It's the Hebrew word bara for created. Now, several things important to understand what this has meant here. Number one, every time the word bara, created, is used in Scripture, the subject is always God. 
You never see a person bara, a person create like this. Every time this word appears in Scripture, it is always, the subject is always reserved for God and God alone. The reason why is, number two, the word bara is never associated with raw materials. You would never say, the sculptor sculpted from clay. There's no raw materials ever associated with this word bara or created. That's why no human is ever associated with it. For us to create... We have to start with raw materials. But for this word, when God creates, he doesn't start with anything. He creates from nothing. The other interesting part of this Hebrew word bara for created is the word is singular. Now, remember last week we looked at the nature of God. In the beginning, God, this word Elohim is plural. That means God is majestic. He's trying to capture the majesty of who God is. It also means God is triune, that he's three persons in one God. But here in the writing, the subject and the verb do not agree. So if you've ever taken Miss Jennifer's writing class, she would not like your paper if your subject and verb do not agree in the person, right? They're supposed to agree. But here, a plural subject is given a singular verb to go with it. Why? Because it's reminding us the triune God work together as one God to create everything, that there is only one God, not three. We remind us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and one of the most important declarations for the Jewish people, hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. We don't worship three gods. There's only one God, but he exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So back to verse 1. In the beginning, the one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together created the heavens and the earth. All three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, work together in unison to singularly together create from nothing. So what did God create from nothing? We'll look back at verse 1. In the beginning, God created, God bara, the heavens and the earth. Now, this is a unique literary device that God gives to us through Moses here. This is probably not a word you use every day, but it's called a merism, M-E-R-I-S-M, a merism. A merism is where two opposite things are stated to indicate totality. Now, you use this in your speech sometime. Have you ever said, hey, I searched the house high and low to find my keys? Well, that didn't mean you looked on your ceiling fan, and then you looked under the sofa, but you skipped the closets, right? It doesn't mean you skip things in the middle. It's a merism. It describes the totality. I searched high and low in my house. You may say that event at the church is for the young and the old. That doesn't mean the middle-agers like me are excluded from it. This is not just for the senior adults and the kids. It's a merism. It means all ages are welcome. When you see this phrase, God created the heavens and the earth, that is what is being done here in a beautiful, poetic, literary way. It's a way to describe absolutely everything. God created the earth, what we see every day, the ground, the trees, everything around us, all that we see. God made that, but God also created the heavens, it says. Now, this word heavens can mean two things. It can mean what you see in the sky, the stars, the distant galaxies, the planets, all of that. It can also mean the place where God's presence is most fully known, where God's presence is most fully seen, where the angels are worshiping him, where our souls go when we die. Now, the author, I think, used that word that can mean either because I think both is in view here. It's showing us that God made everything, the seen and the unseen, the physical and the spiritual, what you see in the sky, what's on the earth, and everything in between. And we get a glimpse of this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. We saw it last week, but let me remind us of that. For by him, by Christ, all things were created. And notice the merisms here, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. Why? And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So what we're seeing in verse 1 here is that God created literally everything. Now, friends, that is a vastness that we cannot comprehend. 
This means that he made things far beyond our mental ability to compute on all these things. I want to show you a picture. This is a picture from the Hubble Space Telescope. There you go, yep. This is two galaxies colliding. So not two solar systems colliding, but two galaxies colliding. And yes, every dot is a star. And most of those stars are suns that are bigger than ours. And yes, there's millions of planets just on that picture right there, circling all those countless stars in just two galaxies. Now, now this is not a painting. This is not a drawing. This is what they captured from the Hubble Space Telescope. This is actual reality out there of two galaxies colliding together. Now, I want to read something to you I read this week as you look at that. Our galaxy is an average-sized spiral galaxy. It looks to other galaxies like a swirl in a pastry, and there's over 100,000 light years across. Okay, so our Milky Way is 100,000 light years across. That means it's 600 trillion miles, okay? So our galaxy, we're not talking about these up here, our galaxy is 600 trillion miles. We know that our galaxy is one of some 100,000 million galaxies that we have found through telescopes. So this is not a guess, friends. They have discovered through, through all the telescopes out there over 100,000 million galaxies. So you're looking at two right there of what are known as 100,000 million galaxies out in space. Each galaxy contains over 100,000 million stars. Okay, so my brain stopped working at this point on the math here. There's 100,000 million galaxies, and each of those 100,000 million galaxies has about 100,000 million stars within each one of them. So on that screen right there, you're looking at 200,000 million stars, and I've lost count of how many zeros that would be. Now, it is commonly known that the average distance between these 100,000 million galaxies, each of which are 600 million miles across and contain 100,000 million stars, each of these, the average distance is 3 million light years. Now, the exception is this one because there's not 3 million light years apart. These are crashing together, and they're watching it happen. On top of that, the work of Edwin Hubble, based on the Doppler effect, has shown that all the red-spectrum galaxies are moving away from us, and nearly all the galaxies are red. Thus, the universe is constantly expanding. Some estimates say the most distant galaxy is now 8 billion light-years away from us and racing away at 200 million miles an hour. So there's a galaxy that, is, that we know is 8 billion light-years from us and moving away at 200 million miles an hour. My, my brain hurts at this point, friends. This is what's in view. God created the heavens. Now, I'll show you a second picture here. This is, let's bring it closer home. This is Andromeda. This is the galaxy closer to us. We're in the Milky Way galaxy. This is our nearest neighbor. So let's say, next, say hey to our next door galaxy. This, this again is one of 100,000 million galaxies, but it's the one nearest to us. This is nearby because it's only two and a half million light years away, and that's our next door neighbor galaxy. Now, if Andromeda and the Milky Way are competing, Andromeda wins because it's got over a trillion stars they found in it. Our Milky Way only has a measly 250 billion stars. Remember, stars are suns. So our sun is one of 250 billion stars, and our galaxy, and our next-door neighbor's going, hey, I got more than you. I got a trillion circling in within me. So in these two galaxies, you have a trillion in this one, 250 billion in another, and that's just only two of 100,000 million that we'll be able to find that's floating out there in space. Now, not just planets and suns. Let's go to the next picture, Brad. This is a nebula. A nebula is a gas explosion in space. These happen either when a star like our sun explodes or when new stars are being formed in outer space. Now, this one is in our galaxy, so this is a nearby one. This is in our own galaxy, the Milky Way, and it's one of 20,000 like it that they found in the Milky Way. Now, one more. This is another picture. This is from right outside our galaxy. This is a satellite galaxy because the Milky Way with all of our stars in it, has two separate galaxies that, for whatever reason, because of gravity, float in the peripheral of our Milky Way 
galaxy. And so that's on the fringes of our own galaxy. So keep all that in view. And God tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens. God made all this that is so far beyond our own ability to process or even think. But see, God not only made the vastness of space, he made the vastness of tiny things that we cannot even see. So Brad, go to the next picture. This is DNA. Yes, on the left side there, you see the typical helix of DNA, these things that code all of life of what God made. And on the right, I don't know if you can see that little tiny line going across those. That is from a scanning electron microscope. That is a nanoplate with nanopoles with a thread of DNA being strung between two nanopoles under a scanning electron microscope. And that is what DNA looks like. So that little tiny strand, I can't even tell you how many millions of times that's magnified, is the helix of all these details that code all of life that God put into everything he made to create everything. One of the authors I read this week said this, God created every speck of dust in the 100,000 million galaxies of the universe. He created every atom, the sub-microscopic solar systems with their whimsically named quarks and leptons and electrons and neutrinos, all of which have no measurable size. So you have hundreds of thousands of millions of galaxies out there, and then you have all these things that are so small that we've only found in the last 50 years that even exist, and they're so small, these little tiny sub-microscopic solar systems that control the life that God has put into place here. The world is full of things with no measurable size. So go back to verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which means God created all that and everything in between. So what's the first thing we learn in Genesis of what God did is God made everything from the vastness of space to the tiny things that we didn't even know existed until a few years ago. God made it all and made everything from nothing. But there's a second thing we learn what God did here. And the second thing is he brings order from chaos. So he makes everything from nothing, but in the second he brings order from chaos. Look at verse 2 here. Now this verse gets frequently misunderstood and mistaught, so seek God's grace to work through this. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So what is this teaching us here? What, God, or what Moses is doing under God's inspiration, he's showing us what the initial moment of creation was like. Before he jumps into each of the days and how God orders everything, he shows us the initial part of creation here. So and what we have here in this verse 2 is the beginning of day 1 of creation. So now remember what Moses would later say in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. He's very clear here. For in six days the Lord made, here's that mirrorism, heavens and the earth. So everything, literally everything from nothing was made in the six days of creation. The sea and all that's in them. And he rested on the seventh day. That means verse 2 is not some period before the six days of creation. There's no gap here between verses 1 and 2. This is part of day 1 of the created order. And this is the beginning of day 1 when God makes the raw materials he would use to make everything else. So you have here the beginning of day 1. You have the creation of raw materials. Now, this description is here for an important reason, friends. Because it shows us something significant about God and his nature. So notice here the state of the raw materials. When God first speaks things into existence, he makes all the raw materials he would form with. What do we learn about them? Verse 2, the earth was without form and void. Now don't skip over this. These are hugely significant words that will guide the rest of chapter 1 here. These words actually rhyme. This is Hebrew poetry that we miss in our English. The word that we translate here, without form, would be the transliter transliteration of the Hebrew word tohu, not tohu, tohu, T-O-H-U. 
And then the word void would be the Hebrew word bohu, B-O-H-U. So tohu and bohu. Tohu, without form, that means something that's not yet been shaped. Bohu, void, means something that's not yet been filled. So we're told the earth had not yet been shaped and the earth had not yet been filled. The earth was tohu, the world was bohu. Together those words are a poetic way to show the world was uninhabitable. That's what that next phrase is telling us when it says back in verse 2, darkness was over the face of the deep. These words are here by design, darkness, voidness, lacking form. These are words that together give a picture of chaos. Now chaos not being a problem, chaos not being a defect, but chaos meaning unfulfilled potential. The guy creates all the raw materials he will use in his unfulfilled potential at this point because it's not yet shaped and it's not yet filled. As I was trying to get my mind around that and thinking on that this week, a very weak analogy came to mind, but it helped me think through this. So I want to show you a picture of a mountain, okay? Does anyone recognize this famous mountain? Mount Rushmore, exactly. Mount Rushmore pre-being carved. When there, when there was an artist by the name of Gutzon Borgelum who saw that mountain and somehow saw four faces on it. And he had a dream of taking this unfulfilled potential of just this mountainside and carve faces into it. So Brad, next page. This summer we got to see it. We went on a trip out west and there is now the fulfilled potential of this carving on the side of the mountain. There was an unfulfilled potential of raw materials that was awaiting the master sculptor to create in it what he saw could be done with it. I get a little glimpse of this every time my kids dump out the Lego box when I'm maybe sitting upstairs reading and I hear the crashing sound of a million Legos being dumped out on the floor at home. That sound is a sound of unfulfilled potential. It looks like chaos, right? The whole damn floor covered with Legos. But when the hands of my kids get into it, it's amazing what they can do with that chaos of all the unfulfilled potential. Now go back to verse 2 here. The earth was tohu without form and bohu. The earth was void. The earth had all this unfulfilled potential but was not yet shaped, was not yet formed. What is this showing us? This is showing us that without God's direct intervention... The raw materials would never come together on their own. There's a picture for us that without God's intervention, these raw materials that God would use to make the rest of the cosmos would never come together on their own. Any more than the rocks on that mountain in Keystone, South Dakota would become Mount Rushmore with the, the faces on them. Any more than a lump of clay would become a sculpture. Any more than that pile of Legos in my den would become Star Wars ships or castles or houses or whatever else my kids are imagining. They would never come together without God's direct Intervention And what follows in Genesis is showing us God's direct intervention to fulfill this unfilled potential of the chaos of tohu and bohu. Now we're going to explore this more next week, but what follows is absolutely beautiful. Because the six days of creation parallel what we see in verse 2. We're told in verse 2 the earth was without form. Again, that was tohu. It's not yet shaped. Days one through three of creation are God shaping the unshaped things. Day one, he shapes light and darkness. He forms them. Day two, he shapes, he forms the waters above the sky, the waters below the sea. Day three, he forms, he shapes the land with the vegetation. So days one, two, and three of creation, God addresses the tohu, the chaos of things being unformed. But then days four, five, and six of creation, God addresses the bohu, the emptiness of those things. So in day four, God fills the sky with the sun and the moon and the stars. In day five, he fills the sea with the sea creatures and the sky with the birds. On day six, he fills that land he made with the animals and the first people. You have this incredibly beautiful picture here that God speaks on day one all the raw materials into existence, but they're not going to come together on their own. So he takes the formlessness and he forms them into everything. He takes the emptiness and he fills them with life and people and animals. 
God makes all the raw materials not to leave them there, but to begin to order the chaos into beauty. And you see that happening here at the end of verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And notice this, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit here, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, was present over the raw materials that have just been spoken into existence. And what's he doing here? It says he's hovering. Now, what in the world does that mean, that the Holy Spirit was hovering here? The same word appears in Deuteronomy 32, verse 11. It gives us a glimpse of what it means. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest that flutters. Now, it's the same word in Hebrew that hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. We have an image here of an eagle that's hovering, that's fluttering over the nest to bring life to the young in the nest. And that's the same image that is being applied here Back in verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering, ready to breathe life into all those raw materials that had just been created for. But why is he hovering? What is he waiting for? He's waiting for the Word of God to be sounded, to go forth there. Psalm 33, 6 tells us so beautifully, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. And that's exactly what happens if you go to the next verse in Genesis, Genesis 1, 3, that we'll get to next week. And God said, God spoke, let there be light. And there was light. So in verse 2, the Holy Spirit is hovering over all the raw materials, waiting for the voice of God to speak things into being. Let me just remind us, who is speaking here? John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 tells us, In the beginning was the Word, name for Jesus here. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now verse 3, all things, all those galaxies we talked about, all those Little microscopic particles, even within the DNA, they were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus will speak it into existence. So notice this here. The whole Trinity is working together as one God, because he's just one God and three persons to create together. The Father wills it. The Father plans it. Jesus speaks it. And the Spirit of God is hovering like an eagle there to breathe life into what Jesus has just said should happen. It is an amazing problem, amazing picture of what God can do. And notice what happens here. There were no raw materials to work with, but that's not a problem for God. Go back to verse 1. In the beginning, God bara. God created from absolutely nothing, everything. But those raw materials that he created were unfulfilled potential. They were just raw materials. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. But even that's not a problem for God, because in verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, waiting for verse 3, for God to speak, let there be light, and boom, there was Light. Now, friends, God did not have to include this much detail for us, but he did. God could just start with, God said, let there be light. Why is verse 2 here for us? Why did verse 2 get inserted? God didn't have to tell us that he spoke raw materials into existence before bringing order to them. Why did he include this detail? And I think it's an important question to ask that we often skip. Why? Why is verse 2 here? And I think it's here because God wants us to see that he can bring order from chaos. God cannot just speak things into being. God could have just started and said, let there be light. And he didn't have to create the raw materials first. He can do what he wants to do. But he chose to create the raw materials. And then he chose to fashion them together. Why? Because he's showing us he's a God who brings order from chaos. So what did God do? He created everything from nothing. And he brought order from chaos. So what do we learn? Second question. What do we learn about God from these two truths? That God creates from nothing and God brings order from chaos. What do we learn about him? Go back to verse 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Three things we learn about. Number one, 
He's the Trinity. He's triune. We already mentioned that. There's three persons of the one true God. Now, some people would object to this point and go, but Grady, the Old Testament people, the Jewish people, had no concept fully of the Trinity. And you're exactly right on that. This takes understanding the triune nature of God from the revelation of the New Testament. The truth is there, but it takes the progressive revelation after Christ comes for us to fully understand it. Benjamin Warfield was a theologian at Princeton back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And he said this. I thought this was so helpful. The Old Testament doctrine of the Trinity is a chamber that is richly furnished but dimly lit. The doctrine of the Trinity in the Old Testament is a chamber that's richly furnished but dimly lit. And so for the people in the Old Testament times, they did not fully understand the concept of the Trinity, but it's clearly there. And with the light of the New Testament, the light of Christ, we can see that it's always been there. It was just dimly lit. And praise God, we have the full revelation of all of God's word to light it for us so we can see it there. So God is triune. Second of all, we see God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. One of the authors I read said this. He said, these words mean that God possesses infinite power to do whatever he pleases. As the creation story unfolds, we find God's power glorified in both the difficulty and the scale of what he accomplishes and in the ease with which he does it. We see God's power glorified in the difficulty and the scale of what he does and the ease with which he does it. The difficulty, he made everything from nothing. The scale of it, he made 100,000 million galaxies. He created sub atomic particles that we didn't know existed until recently. He made it all from nothing. And that shows us that nothing is too hard for him. I love how Jeremiah says it. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth. There's that mirrorism. You've made everything by your great power and by your outstretched arm. So what do we conclude? Nothing is too hard for you. And one more thing I want you to see about God here. Not only is God triune, not only is God powerful, God is purposeful. God is orderly. I have been blown away this week realizing how perfectly God did all of this. This tohu and bohu of verse 2 again. The earth was without form and it was void and boom on days 1, 2, and 3 God addresses the formlessness and forms everything. In day 4, 5, and 6 he addresses the bohu, the emptiness, and he fills it with things. This is purposeful. This is not God up in heaven going, yeah, I think I'll put some animals next. Oh, we'll make that giraffe look funny. I mean, this wasn't God just haphazardly doing things. This was in the beginning. He already had the end in view. And so he creates raw materials and tells us the challenge. And then he speaks them in in perfect symmetry and beauty to show us what a planning, purposeful, orderly God he is. In the beginning, with the end in view, God did all these things. So God is triune, God is all-powerful, and God is purposeful, God is orderly. We'll explore that a lot more next week. But one last question for this morning. How does this reality of the creation story give us hope? How does this change my life today and your life today? What difference does this story make? Can I suggest three ways this story should give you hope? Number one, this gives us hope that our sins can actually be forgiven. This gives us hope that our sins can actually be forgiven because a God who can do such a supernatural creation can also plan a supernatural redemption for sinners like us. When we look at the creation account, we see how powerful and wise God is. If he can design DNA and galaxies, if he can create everything from nothing, he can also in his wisdom devise a plan to redeem sinners who have offended his holiness and he is powerful enough to bring about that plan for the forgiveness of people. As I was thinking about the creation account this week, my mind connected it in all things to Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. In Matthew 9, 2, behold, some people brought to him, to Jesus, a paralytic laying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now, if you know the story, what follows is the people watching were not happy about this. Here's a man walking on the earth who's claiming to be able to forgive sins. But Jesus says something very interesting just a few verses later in verse 5 to 7. He says to the skeptical crowd, What is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man, that's the name for Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Verse 7, and he rose and went home. So go back to verse 6 for just a minute here. Because notice what he says, that so you can know that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, he did something tangible. He did a miracle here to show people that he has the power to do what you can't see but he can do, and that's to forgive sins. So now apply that in terms of creation. What is easier to say? A hundred thousand million galaxies come into existence and boom, they appear. What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. So that we know that he has the power to forgive our sins. He tells us in great detail how he speaks everything into being. The omnipotent power of God that revealed to us in the creation account shows us he has the power to do anything, including forgive our sins. I love how Paul said it to the people in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown into our hearts to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So the same God who can speak and create the raw materials and speak and fashion them together and speak and fill the void, the same God who's spoken into our lives so that we can know him, so our sins can be forgiven, so we can have a relationship with him. So the creation story gives us hope that our sins can be forgiven. Number two, the creation story gives us hope that eternity awaits us. Gives us hope that eternity awaits us. Okay, how's the connection here? Where's the connection here? First of all, the God who can uphold 100,000 million galaxies and uphold the DNA in your body is a God who has promised to take us to eternity. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. When the end of time comes, God has promised to sustain it. So the same God that's holding those 100,000 million galaxies together and keeping it all apart, apart from the few that are colliding, we saw he is upholding everything. He's also upholding you and will bring you surely to the end. And what is the end? The end is a place of no tohu or bohu, a place where there's no formlessness and no voids, forever and eternity in God's presence with everything perfectly fashioned, surrounded by a world full of perfected beings, including us in God's presence and perfection forever and ever and ever. Because if you think about what we see in verse 2 and the challenge of the earth being without form and void, the ultimate fulfillment is not just chapter 1. The ultimate fulfillment is Revelation 22, when everything is perfectly formed and everyone there has been perfected in the presence of God. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, the fulfillment of what we see in verse 2 here. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. There will be no need of light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What we see in verse 2 in Genesis is just the beginning, and what follows of God creating is ultimately pointing us to the ultimate fulfillment of creation. When there's no tohu, when there's no formlessness, when there's no bohu, when there's no void, where everything is perfect forever and ever and ever in God's presence. So the creation story points us to the fulfillment, the hope of eternity with him. So what's our hope from this? That our sins are forgiven, and also that eternity awaits. But one last piece of hope from this, 
There's hope from this that we can have peace now. We can have peace in this life now. We have seen over and over, God never promises an easy life. But the same Spirit of God who hovered over those raw materials to bring life and to bring order has brought spiritual life to all of us who know Christ, now fills every single one of us and offers us peace and hope and direction, conviction, guidance, and so much more. The same Holy Spirit who is here in chapter 2 over the chaos to bring order wants to bring order into your hearts and your minds and your lives. I love what Jesus told his disciples when they were all panicky about him ascending and leaving. John chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the same one we see here in verse 2, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And what immediately follows that, verse 27, peace I leave with you. Don't miss the connection. The peace Jesus offers comes from the Holy Spirit filling people, the same Holy Spirit who brought order from the chaos of all those raw materials waiting on the word of Jesus to bring it all to fruition. That same Holy Spirit Jesus has now left to his troubled disciples to be with them, to guide them, to convict them, to help them, to bring things to remembrance. says, because that peace I leave you, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Over the last year or so, I've come across a new publisher called the Daily Grace Company. We've used one of their Bible studies here, and they've got some great resources we started putting in the Resource Center. Daily Grace said this about Genesis, and I thought this was so helpful. As we look at the world around us, we can be overwhelmed by the chaos and disorder that we observe. Darkness and disorder seem to prevail, and seemingly endless striving and suffering can leave us feeling as if life is random and meaningless. But God brings purpose and God brings fullness. The void within us can feel even darker than the disorder out around us. But we do not have to settle for emptiness because satisfaction is found in Christ. When our sinful hearts are out of control, God orders them and aligns them to his. When our anxious thoughts bounce around chaotically in our heads, the word of God separates the truth from the lies. The Lord of the universe is the Lord of our hearts. The Lord of the universe is the Lord of our hearts. And so this truth that not only does God bring, chaos, bring order from chaos, God delights in bringing order from the chaos in my mind and my heart and your mind and your heart. The God who can take 100 million galaxies and all the raw materials that would take that are in a chaotic state to speak them into existence is the same God who can take your anxious heart and your anxious thoughts and your troubled mind and bring peace to them as well. And God loves to bring order from chaos. So let's bring all that together. Here's the truth for us from Genesis chapter 1, the first two sentences of the Bible. I want you to see that God's power to create everything from nothing and also to bring order from chaos gives us hope in the midst of our own sin and brokenness. The eternal triune God, Bara, he created everything from nothing. And he made the raw materials and there was tohu and bohu. There was formlessness and void and it was uninhabitable. But God brought order to it all to create a perfect world. Friends, that is not a fairy tale. That's history. This is God's self-revelation in the page of Scripture. This is how God begins his revelation to us. He's speaking to us about what historically actually happened. But this truth is more than just a nice historical statement of how the world began. This is a statement to fill our lives with much hope as we see in the mirror our own sinfulness, as we think about that we can think of our own failures and shortcomings and brokenness and sin patterns. This is an account to remind us that there is hope Because God looks upon us, and if he has power to speak the world into being, he can speak life into our lives. And the God who brings order from chaos wants to take our troubled hearts and minds and bring order to them as well. God's power to create everything from nothing 
God's power to bring order from chaos is here, not only so we know who God is, it's here so that we have hope, not hope in ourselves, but hope from him as we wander on our way to eternity on this road to heaven. So in light of that, I have one question for us as we close this morning. Or simply, friends, do you have that hope? Do you have the hope that your sins are forgiven by the one who spoke everything into being? Do you have hope that eternal life awaits you where everything is perfectly shaped and perfectly formed and perfectly filled for all eternity in the presence of God? And friends, do you have hope not just in that what's still to come? Do you have hope today that there's peace in your heart and your lives no matter what your circumstances around you are like? Do you have that hope and peace? Or friends, would you say, no, actually, my life is marked by a little bit of chaos and I need God desperately to come and transform it. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that you've not hidden these truths from us. God, you could have not revealed this to us and left us wondering forever where the world came from, but you made it very clear to us why there's a world and why we're here. And God, you showed us all these incredible details of what you did and why you did it. And so, Lord, I pray this will not just be an interesting thought for each of us, but God, I pray this would be a life-giving, hope-filled thought for us. As we see this week the stars in the night sky, as we see the wind blowing, the rains coming, as we see your creation and your handiwork, even as we think about our own bodies and the complexities of them and the sickness and the health, and we see how intertwined and complicated they all are. I pray all these would be reminders to us that you, Elohim, the eternal God, you spoke all this into being. You who needed nothing made all this by your perfect plans. And I pray those truths would lead us to places of awe. Those truths would lead us to places of worship. And Lord, that those truths would lead us to places of hope. You've not promised this will be an easy week for us. Some here may face great difficulties and great trials and great pain and great struggles this week. But I pray that whatever we face, the good and the bad this week, God, that you would give us reminder after reminder after reminder that you are God and you are on your throne and everything is accomplishing your purposes as we journey to heaven with you as we long for and wait for that day where everything is perfectly fashioned, everything is perfectly filled, and we get to enjoy you for all eternity. Lord, I pray if there's any here who do not have that hope, that hope of their sins being forgiven, their hope of fellowship with you, their hope of eternal life. I pray today they would cry out to the God who created everything from nothing and they would find the same power that made the world the power to bring forgiveness and life to their spiritually dry soul. Lord, I pray for any who are here who are struggling with anxiety and worry and anxiousness and their hearts being troubled where they feel like their life is chaos. I pray today they would realize the same Holy Spirit who brought order from the chaos of the raw materials desires and delights in bringing order to their minds and their hearts and their affections this week. Lord, you see all of our struggles. Nothing is hidden from your sight. And so, Lord, I pray we'll be a people who don't try to hide that from you and hide that from others, but we'll be real with you this week and cry out to you to help bring order to our minds and our hearts and our lives this week. Lord, for your glory, we ask you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song and reflect on God's greatness and majesty?
As we close today, I want us to adore the Lord together by reading together, out loud together from Psalm 33. It brings together, I think, all that we've seen today. We've been singing about, of beholding God, what we studied from Genesis 1. So I want us to read this out loud together, verses 6 through 8, and then verses 20 to 22. Let's say it together. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, he puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope. Lord, this week, that is our prayer, that you remind us that you are the creator of all, the all-powerful, the sovereign one who is on his throne. And I pray that would give us hope this week, that we would rejoice in you. We'd see you as a source for our help, not ourselves or our circumstances, but you and you alone. So help us this week, Lord, to be in awe of you. Help us this week to fear you. Help us this week run to you for all the help we need. For your glory and for our joy, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a good Sunday afternoon.